This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Oh. We are on the roller coaster ride. <laughs> it is time to get started. I'm excited for this conversation. We are going to cover some new ground, and our guest today is an entrepreneur, the strategist, an executor. And what I love about our, our conversations already is just the idea of seeing it through from a plan and that planning side all the way through to execution, uh, a masterful merchandiser, an analytics aficionado, and he blends the creative with the analytical and the data side. And we are going to talk more about that today. Managing partner of Tillerman, Chris Berduis. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Man, this, this is exciting. We've got some interesting concepts that kind of battle at each other. So I'm just going to shut up on my side, pass it to you. Can you smash for us some kind of myth or misconception around leadership, being an entrepreneur, running a business? Yeah. So I thought about, uh, about this a fair amount. And I think that when I tell people what we do for a living, we're, we manage data um, and we manage it specifically for apparel. But when I tell people I'm in data management, everybody assumes that it's really like a, an IT function or, you know, that I have some math expertise or some computer science expertise. And the thing about our job is data management is, is really a creative exercise. We approach it that way. It isn't so much uh, an IT function as it is, uh, you know, understanding a need and figuring out how to, how to serve the need, how to get the information that you need to get. And when you think about data management, so obviously this is almost all I think about, um, there's really a couple of different components to it. One is, you know, where do you get the data? Then what do you do with the data and how do you make it into something you can use to help you run your business? And, and that, that all requires a huge amount of creativity. And so I just look at my, my job much more as a creative function than it is an IT function. We use IT obviously as a mechanism to deliver, but really it's, it's, it's creative. It's, it, and it's exciting. I, I love what I do. So it sounds like a boring job, but I don't find it boring at all. No, the way you describe it, though, I've always thought that too. And wh why do we think? Why do we think of the the numbers, the data analytics, the data analysis here as a? Why do we see it as a, like a black and white, cut and dry math, IT, not or non creative type? And why do we see that? Why do why do we end up thinking about it that way? You know, I, I I think it's because numbers can be boring. You look at a spreadsheet, and that can be a very sort of boring thing to look at. Um, but I, you know, the way we look at it is you have, you have people in your organization that need to make decisions, right? So you have all different levels, whether you're the CEO or a line person or whatever it is. And in our industry, it's really a, a marriage of science and art because most of our clients are apparel makers. So that, that part of it's the art, right? The design and all that stuff. But so the data part of it is boring, right? I mean, it's, it's boring to look at sheets and numbers, but the, the, how you get it done part, and then what do you do with it? So we're taking data and we're trying to get the right people, the right information they need to make the best decisions they can. And it's, it's that part of it, I think is, is exciting. And I think, you know, that for us is where it isn't, a, a, you know, just a, a boring math exercise. I'm not a math guy. I never was. So for me, it was really more process and puzzle solving than it is science and math. I totally get that, right? The way you've described it has sort of changed my mindset because now I see, well, maybe the people that deal with 
hand hanging on to the data or storing it or mm -hmm. capturing it maybe is the more of the IT function or right. or manipulating it to be in the correct column with the right percent decimal great math but then to your point that i don't say that's the easy part but the hard part then or the creative part is what are these numbers saying what's the story and then what kind of actions do we take from that i mean i think that's where we all get hung up everyone says oh go capture the data but then once you get it you just stare at this table of numbers and then it's that next step though I, so how do we approach that how do you turn the boring sheet of numbers into a story and actionable takeaways yeah so we look at it so our our mission statement is to we always talk about simplifying the process for people um you know if you think about i want to get a glass of water you can't drink a glass of water if it's coming out of a fire hose so it's how do you take that a massive amount of information that's out there and turn it into something that's usable so step one in that process is what's out there and what do you need, right? So a huge part of our job is the data capture. That's where a lot of the creativity comes in because- Oh, really? I'm yeah, because if you look at our, our industry, I'm sure it's true of every industry, I only know ours. So we're capturing data for retailers from retailers across the country. So they all communicate information differently. They have different measures, different metrics, different time periods, different formats mm. to give it to us. So our first job is how do we get it? And it's not, you know, it's easy if you're one person grabbing one piece of data, you go out and get it. But if you're trying right. to normalize this, scale it up, do all that stuff, that's where a huge amount of the creativity comes in. So step one is how do we go out and get it? Step two is now we've got all this information, how do we consolidate it into something that you can use? And, you know, again, that, that where, where I get excited is it's not so much just being able to do that once. It's how do you make it where it's scalable? How do you make it where it's, it's repeatable, it's accurate, mm. it's auditable, all of the stuff that, you know, if you're a consumer of data, you want to make sure you're looking at information that's correct, right? So that's step two. And then step three is understanding what's the end use of this thing? How's someone going to take, you know, I, I'm going to give you a performance report that tells you how many, you know, quarter, three quarters zip sweaters you sold. What are you doing with that? Are you making a new product? Are you selling reorders? What are you doing with it? How do I get it to you in a way where things are apparent you can understand what's happening. And the, what we always talk about is one question isn't really what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get you to, you've asked a question, now you got an answer. Well, that leads to four more questions. So how do we give you the ability to easily get to that information? And that, that, that's the exciting part of our job, I think, is really trying to create the accuracy, the flexibility, the scalability so that you can do kind of whatever you want with it. It's funny, you said at the beginning that I, I'm a good merchandiser. The reason I do this for a living is because I'm actually a terrible merchant. I was never able- Really? I started my career as a, as a buyer, not as a buyer, as an assistant buyer. And I was a buyer at Lord Taylor and I just never understood why anyone would want to spend I remember being on a Super Bowl Sunday at 11 o'clock at night, still at Nautica buying the, the, the line. You had, to, you had to do it all there. And the next day I'm, I'm sitting there with my boss going through trying to figure out which brown plaid the guy would be more likely to buy. And I remember thinking, I'm in the wrong job. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Who cares? It's two different brown plaids. But what I loved about it was all of the work that, that went into preparing for it, planning for it and all of that stuff, which is how I pivoted into kind of doing what I do for a living now. Um, but, but so it, it's giving the merchants, people who really are passionate about this stuff, 
what they need to, to say, I, I can see the path forward. This is what we need to do. And when, and when it works, it's great. And people, you know, people give us compliments and it's, it's fantastic when we're able to deliver that. Wow. Where, where do I start? Where, in folks listening to, uh, you know, they have been beat down by their data. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they probably, I know I've nailed step one. I can, I can get all sorts of data in, you know, and it's not normalized at all, but it's there sitting there, not being used. Do you, where's the first step? Like where, what do I do to approach this in a new way? So our customers, like our best customers know what they're trying to figure out, right? I know the answer I'm trying to get to. I just don't know how I'm going to get there and we help them get there. So in your business, like you're, you're, you're in the marketing business. I'm sure it's a tremendously data-driven business because it's all return on investment. So the challenge is what do you, what, what are sort of, what are your key performance indicators? They're going to tell you, this is a good investment or a bad investment. And then how are we going to help you get what you need? And we're good at doing what we do because we understand the apparel business. We understand the kinds of decisions people make. So we have a pool of information that's there, right? We're capturing. Uh, and then we, we try to feed it to people in what they need, but the key to it is really understanding what are you trying to do? Right. People don't look at data for intellectual curiosity for the most part. It's I'm trying to make a decision. So, you know, I mean, data obviously is is just super in the news now. Everybody's focused on big data and small data and all different data that's that's driving decision making. And really it's it's all it should all be driven by end use. What 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 are the decisions we can make? What data helps us make better decisions and how do we get there? Got it. You need to have that question in I mind. Think so. What are you trying to Right. I, I, how many times have we gotten all this data? We have no idea what question we're trying to ask. Right. And then it's just looking at stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. cool, right? But it doesn't do anything for you. So you're saying don't no. just randomly look at data and wait for it to sort of, don't, don't fall asleep on it like you fall asleep on the, the biology book, hoping that you'll by osmosis absorb. <laughs> right. don't, just, don't just blindly stare at a spreadsheet, hoping that the spirit of the numbers will whisper some sweet nothing to right. you. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it really should be driven by what decisions can you make? And, and like I said, what information helps you make better decisions along the way there. Right. And then knowing what question you want to ask, that's how you and your team are able to say, okay, let's go to the capture. Are we capturing the data that will lead to this answer? Right. Exactly. Is it the time frame that we want to be able to answer it? And then any, any guidance on once you have the data, it's, it's normalized, it's in it, the right format. Are there any traps people fall into? Because I can imagine the data is right in front of you, but then is, is it a trap? Just, oh, the answer's right there. Is it that straightforward or is, there, is the manipulation really the, the hard part? Well, I mean, I think that the trap, there, there's a few. One of them is it's too difficult to capture, so we're just not going to try or we'll, yeah. when we need to and we don't do it all the time. So therefore, you're, by the time you're getting analysis done, it's not relevant anymore because it takes you too long to put it together. Um, another trap I think people fall into is um, is the accuracy trap, right? So it's it's if we're capturing data, and this is true for our business, it may not be true for every business, but because we're capturing data that we don't own and our customers don't own, so it's all from the retailers, our customers are all the manufacturers of products. So we have to take what's there. And what we do with it is we are as creative as we can to create the best possible data set that you can make out of this sort of mess that exists, right? What that means is that you're doing a lot of calculations and derivations and things, and you're creating 
a very directionally accurate data set, but it's not perfectly accurate because perfectly accurate doesn't exist. And I do think that we wind up with people who will spend too much time sort of ticking and tying numbers out and then chasing, you know, a 1% variance versus saying, you know what, this is close enough. Let's not like perfect get in the way of that and let's make decisions with it. So to me, that's the biggest trap that people would fall into with that. Yeah, there's something to that. I, I, it's either either side, right? Going too quickly to a conclusion, but also right. there's the analysis paralysis, like you're saying, and you know, trying to to zero it down. But I mean, talk to me about the value of directional answers. I think I think there's sometimes we're always trying to get that, you know, one plus one equals two. But if we're like, it's generally more, one plus one is generally more than one. You know, it's it's a larger number. Right. It's not five. We know that. Right. It's not, we know yeah, it's not I as mean, far I, as five. Yeah. But that's what we do a lot of that. Uh, so our business is very collaborative, right? Like I talked about, we don't own the data. They don't own the data. It's, we're, right. we're grabbing it on their behalf. And what we talk about in that collaborative relationship is that we need them, our customer, to understand that what we're doing for them isn't a perfect science, but that we're putting a lot of science into it. And what I mean by that is auditing, uh, you know, uh, quality assurance checks, all of that stuff. We're doing all the work that needs to be done to say it is directionally accurate information and directionally accurate information is really valuable, particularly if you can make quick decisions. So if I can know that a product I've just shipped is starting to perform extremely well in certain retailers, and I can get more product into other retailers or more product into better stores or get new product into development, and I can do that quickly, that's super important and really beneficial versus needing everything to be perfect all the time. And obviously you can make mistakes in that, but again, our job is to try and give people a sense of confidence that it is directionally accurate. And I think that's, that's you know, valuable as long as it's understood and people take, take the uh, information and use it. You know, for all the entrepreneurs and CEOs listening, I'm sure that just gave them all permission to go with that, that gut feel, you <laughs> well, know? I know. Yeah, it looks like it. It looks right. it's close enough. Let's go. Let's let's move. Close enough. Well, I mean, that's 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 what separates right success yeah. from failure. Sometimes being first. Yeah. So. Or it's a missed field goal, you know, because it was mm -hmm. too windy. You know, right. could I be anything. Yeah. Could be anything. Right. <laughs> Wait, now are you, are you close enough to Boston, or are you are you too close to New York? To, I'm exactly in the middle of Boston. Right. So which football team? I grew up team? in Maine, so I don't, I, I would root for New England, but no, then okay. I, I don't continue. have a rooting in. My son's, big, my son's a big Pats fan, so we go Pats in my house. Okay, fair enough. This The podcast can continue. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for sure. Well, you know, on that note, I, one of the questions I want to ask you, it's sort of a, as a, a little bit of a tangent, but as an entrepreneur, um, oftentimes it can be isolating, just like the data can be isolated and, and without, uh, the correct tie-ins, you know, leaders often there's that, you know, cliche, it's lonely at the top, but really it's isolating. And so, right. uh, are there any resources or communities you have found to be helpful in terms of connecting with other leaders or other, uh, folks in similar arenas to be able to sort of work with each other and work off of each other? Yeah. I mean, I work with folks in the apparel industry. Um, I, you know, I have some relationships with people who run different sort of, I wouldn't even say they're competitive, but, but service oriented businesses in our space. And we do a fair amount of, of communicating and that's been helpful. I actually looked into, uh, 
to joining EO Boston at one point, uh, but I'm two hours away and it just didn't really make sense for us. Yeah. We need to add the, the, the shuttle, right? We need like a free, something, you know, air, yeah. air shuttle. We need a helicopter. We'll work if on that. If there is an EO helicopter, I'll, I, I'll volunteer to, to be one of the, uh, you know. Okay. I, so that's, that's what it'll take. If you, if we get you an EO helicopter to bring you to an event, you'll, you'll sign up. Definitely, a hundred percent. Okay. Do we have to bring you to every event on helicopter, or can we get you to one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, every that, event. That, <laughs> All right. No, Costs uh, cost have gone up now. <laughs> right. The um, no the 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 benefit of talking to people in the role of of running a business it's very different. And you know yeah. anybody who's founded a business knows that those early days are daunting. And uh, I, I suppose there's always those businesses that get right out of the box and they're just successful right out of the box. Yeah. But we certainly weren't there. And so it took us a while to get, um, and it, to get to a point of feeling like we were actually delivering value and the business was successful and that type of thing. And, and getting there was, especially because it's not like I'm a natural entrepreneur. I never set out to, to start a business. It was just a product that we needed that didn't exist. And uh, got to a transition point and said, you know what? We got nothing to lose. Let's give it a try and, and give it a shot. Yeah. 16 years ago. So, jeez, jeez. Yeah. Well, I knew we often learn just by doing and seeing what happens. Okay. Uh, are there any, are there any most popular books or recommended books you, you tend to tell other people about? You know, there's a book that I read before I started my business. Before, I mean, it was probably right after I graduated college. It's a book called uh, Blue Highways by a guy who was a professor, English professor, who lost, his name is uh, William Least Heat Moon. It's an older book. I think it was it was written in the 80s, but it's uh, he basically loses his job. He's getting divorced and says, I'm going to go drive or I'm just going to leave and I'm going to drive around the country. And Blue Highways comes from the old maps where the the secondary routes were blue and the, you know, highways were red. So I read it. And when I had started my, my career, I just really did not like my job very much. And I happened to read this, this book at that time. And I thought, you know what, this would be a really cool thing to do. Um, and so it's not that it's a great book. It was just very transformative for me because then what happened was after my wife and I got married, we actually did quit our jobs and we did drive around the country. And then we, we did it around the world trips. So we spent about a year traveling and we did that. I did that because I, I hated what I was doing for a living and I wanted to, and I thought, let's do this and then I'll reset and do something different. And um, two things happened. One is we came back from that trip and I started back at the company I had left doing the same job I left within about two weeks of coming back. Um, and wait, wait, say that again. You yeah. came back from the year long trip and then you yeah. went back to the same job you yeah. had. Same job. Basically with different, I was a buyer at Lord and Taylor when I left and I came back and I was a buyer at Lord and Taylor when I came back. And the reason why I did that was because part of the value of that trip was realizing that there is no such thing as a, there's no, really grass is greener. It's really about living your life. And that even on this, you would think I I've chucked everything. I'm traveling. This is great. And there were times where you're just, you know, it's not easy all the time. And no matter what you're doing, there's difficult things to do. And it's really more about how you react to things and how you deal with them than it is about, there's no perfect thing out there. It, 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 the, the phrase I use all the time is there's no such thing as a one-sided coin. So if you're 51% happy, you're doing pretty good is the way I look at it. And, uh, and it was a realization that it didn't so much that I hated my job. I hated certain elements of my job. I wasn't very good at some of them, but part of it was because I also wasn't taking a very, I think, 
um, aggressive approach to it or whatever, but I came back and I still do it. So basically I've always been in this business. It's the same. I, I do basically the same job now that I've always done. And I just feel like that book for me was such an interesting, it's a great book. First of all, it's a really interesting story, but, but for me, it was very personal and, uh, very transformative. And, and I, and I think it makes me happy. I think it's, it's one of the things that's really made me a happy person because you don't get focused on what you don't have. You focus on what you do have and what you can do, not what you, what you can't and all of that stuff. Yeah. Now, do you think, was it the book that was transformative or was it the trip? Both? It was the book that sort of opened my eyes to the concept that you could do something like this. Okay. And then when we did it, it was the, all the things that happened from there that, that, um, just were, you know, changed my, I think the way I look at the world and, uh, and I'm not sure I would have done that. I'm not, I'm maybe we would have done it anyway, but I know that I've started talking to my wife about this idea because I had read that book and it just seemed like such a, a cool thing to do, a cool way to sort of reset your life. And when in reality it didn't, it did reset things, but it didn't reset what I thought it was going to. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Cause I think a lot of people think that from that, you know, from a vacation or from a break, that you're going to completely reinvent yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And maybe, maybe you re reinvented the way you were thinking about things, but it right. didn't mean you had to be in a different job, industry, role. Right. Yeah. I'd like come back and go to law school or do something else. And it just was, you know, I came back and realized, you know what? I actually, I like a lot about what I, what I do. I don't like everything about it, but maybe that's good enough. And it, it has been, I think. Do you, does that then mean that you were, already in the the ideal job for you or is this saying that there really is no ideal yeah i don't think there is an ideal okay. i think i was in a job that was that that well one of the things was you need to get a job right you got to pay the bills right and so it was something that i knew i could do and and that there was definitely big parts of it that i did like but it wasn't ideal and so from there i sort of navigated my way into uh focusing much more on what I'm interested in, which was what we opened the conversation with, and then started a business basically doing just that. So I kind of whittled down to the only thing about, oh, not the only thing, one of the things I'm most interested about in our industry and what I do for a living. Yeah. So it's not like you started the company right after coming back from that trip. No, 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 no. It was, uh, that was 10 years, 10 years later. Do you think, would that book sort of start a slow fuse for you to do that? Or was there some oh. other thing that had no, you I think out. it was, uh, I think the, what, what it, uh, that's an interesting question. No, when I came back, I, I started, so basically I left it as a buyer. I came back, I was a buyer at a different industry, a different area. Uh, and I, and I, at that was the time when I started to really, I maybe focused on like, what do I like about what I do and what don't I like about what I do? What am I good at? What am I not? And then I was able to take that information and say, there's other things within my organization that I can do. Um, and I, I, pivoted into more of a planning role and less of a, a buying role. And, uh, and part of that is more data management, not data management, but data analysis and how you capture it. And I really then took more of the creative approach at that time, I think. And mm -hmm. then I did have the idea that this business could exist, but then it took another eight years to get to a point where you say, well, I, you know, I've, I had, I had three kids, I had two kids at the time. Um, my wife wasn't working. So there's some risk obviously to starting a business. Um, but it came down to a place where it was, I was going to either have to go get a new job or I could try this. And we figured we'd try it for a year and see what happens. And uh, that was, you know, 16 years ago. So, Gotcha. I think sometimes when you have a, a, a trip like that, that 
you know, we said you didn't just immediately change big things. You, you had some small steps when you came back. Yeah, small steps, but incre- almost incremental. Maybe you would know, you know, your math definitions would be better than mine, but it feels kind of incremental. Like you came back and you're like, well, it's not business as usual, but I don't need to drastically change anything. Let's, you know, let's shift it a, a percent or two in the right direction here. Do more of what I enjoy or do more what I'm passionate about, what I'm good at. And you sort of like refined it over time, uh, but it, it gave you some sort of you know, impetus to, to make some changes. Right. To adapt or optimize. Yeah. And you optimize that just as much as maybe you would optimize an order or, you know, <laughs> something else. Maybe more. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Your own or you were your own yeah. buy, right? Yeah. You're, yeah, absolutely. You're optimizing that. That makes a, yep. a, a lot of sense. Where did you go on your trip? And in, in you had a year. Yeah. So we did. Uh, so, oh, well, there's something else. So we did, we left in August and did about four months driving around the country. So we did sort of, we, we looped the country. Uh, and we did really follow this, the sort of blue highway mentality. We almost never went on um, on any interstate highways at all. So it was all back roads. It's like a back road drive around the country, which was phenomenal. And uh, my wife, actually, when she resigned her her job, her boss at the time said, you know, if you're going to do this, you really should think bigger and do an around the world trip, too. So we wound up buying at the time you could buy an around the world airline ticket through Delta. It was like 2,500 bucks and you got 30,000 miles and you could basically use them as you went. It was almost like a train ticket. You had to stay in one hemisphere and you had to go through hubs. So you had to, like it was Delta, Swiss Air and Singapore Air. So we wound up flying around the world and, and did that for another four months. And in between, I actually got a job as a temp working at Chase Auto Finance as an inbound customer service um, specialist. And I w- that was very also super um, helpful because I uh, obviously I'd already had a career and now I'm doing this thing, making eight bucks an hour to answer phones if you have a, a loan question. And it was one of those things of saying, you know what, I actually really <laughs> I like what I did for a living because this is terrible. Okay, and, so uh, that, that makes a lot more sense now why yeah. you would go back to, because you had a chance to do something different. You did have right. a chance to sort of test and you did put I mean, the tone. The- I wasn't going to do that for a living, but it was a job right. that had, I mean, it was not a job that you took home, obviously. And it's not a job that had a huge amount of responsibility. And I think one of the things I didn't like about my job when I left it was I was young. I was only 24 years old and you, I gotten, you, you get a lot of responsibility very quickly and you don't have a lot of experience. So it's a very overwhelm can be a very overwhelming feeling. And I yeah. realized, you know what, I'd really much rather be overwhelmed than underwhelmed. And I think that was, that was helpful. But anyway, the trip, the trip was, was basically two different four month trips. Gosh. Okay. Uh, so two questions, um, favorite place or places doing that domestic trip and then favorite mm-hmm. from the international trip. Yeah. That's people always ask that. So, so the favorites tough because they're all so different. Um, right. so, um, uh, but we did the whole West coast from Vancouver down to San Diego. Um, basically the, the, took the Pacific coast highway the whole way and did some camping up in the redwoods out on the beach and everything. And that was, that was phenomenal. Um, don't, don't you find that highway to be like so dangerous because I remember driving that and the most beautiful views, but somebody's gotta keep driving. Yeah. Well, oh. that's true. Uh, <laughs> I was always on driving too. So that right. Like, oh, look at, oh, oh, I gotta pay attention here. <laughs> Uh, but it helps when you have like a month and a half to do it. So yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Trying to get yeah. anywhere too quick. 
Uh, overseas was great too. The uh, Beijing was probably one of our favorite places only because we had heard so many negative things about it. Um, you know, it's dirty, it's big, whatever. And we got there and just, it was just one of those, I don't know why, but it was, uh, it was phenomenal, but it really, it was every, everywhere we went, we went to Russia, we went to Egypt, Egypt was phenomenal. There was just a lot of cool places we went. It was a really neat thing to do. It also, it, it was helpful in understanding that it's a huge world out there. So we try not to do a lot of going back to places. We still travel a lot. Um, and we've gone back to some of the places we went on that trip. It's nice to go back with a couple of dollars in your pocket too. It makes it very different. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have two nickels to rub together at that time. So, oh, so when you did that trip, you, it was, it was much more on the cheap. You had the, the oh, yeah. ticket, but it was not right. like you were. You know, an entrepreneur staying in a, a nice no, hotel. You were, no, no, no. We had you were hustling. Were you staying in hostels? And we didn't do a lot of hostels. We did a lot of really cheap hotels. Yeah. Um, we did. So we also did this thing called Servos, which was basically um, host families where you can go and stay with someone. Um, yeah. And so you join the organization and there's hosts in each of the different places. And we did that. Um, I guess we did that like four or five times, which is cool. We stayed at a, in a, really neat place in Zurich, um, outside Zurich, Switzerland in this like, you know, 400 year old, uh, farmhouse of this family. It was great. So those things are neat. So we kind of split it up that way. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, there's probably not even a book would capture the, just so many different experiences. I mean, you rattled off a few countries that each would have just the most amazing stories. Yeah. We, we had some cool, <laughs> some, it wasn't all great. That's the whole point. I remember being in Singapore one night. Uh, we were flying, I think we were flying to Beijing and the flight was at like 2 a.m. Cause I think it's, it's either the same time zone or it's off by an hour. So it was a 2 a.m. flight that was getting in at eight o'clock in the morning or something. And I just remember, and, and the Singapore airport, there's a million flights that come in and out of there. Oh yeah. And, uh, I don't know. There was a lot of flights, even like our flight wasn't even up yet. And I just remember feeling like, I just want to go home. I'm so tired of doing this at this point. And those are those, those are the things you remember and say, you know what, as good as you think you have it, you know you still got to do laundry. You still got to pay your bills. You got to do all that stuff. So, yeah, you know, don't get worked up over everything. That's not perfect because nothing's ever going to be perfect. So that, that, that happened to me one time in Heathrow, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I had a job early on where it was like 95% travel, which was great when you're younger right. and you're like, all right, let's do it. But I did get to the point where I remember waking up from a nap in Heathrow airport, just being like, where am I? <laughs> what time zone is it? Right. And just saying, huh, maybe I'm getting to the point. And then they wanted to send me to South Korea and coach. Right. 24 yeah. hour if, flight. If you find yourself in a job where they're flying you to Asia coach, it's time to find a new job, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I was just like, I, I can't do it. So I didn't, I've never actually been to South Korea because I just couldn't do that long flight after right. all that other travel. Um, and, uh, and, and normally I could use you know, points that I had acquired just naturally to upgrade for long trips and that kind right. of thing just on my own. But um, you can't do that sometimes for some of the Asian countries. You just you have to pay. It's, right, right. Yeah. yeah, actually, South Korea, we went to, so we had the around the world airline ticket, but you had to go through the hubs. So Singapore Air was this was the hub in uh, okay. Asia. And so to fly from Beijing to Seoul, um, it would have taken, we would have had to fly through Singapore to get to Seoul and it's only an hour flight. Uh, so we wound up buying a one-way ticket. So we bought, we flew Air China from, um, and actually it's funny, that was a terrible flight. That, 
was just, so I wouldn't have wanted to be coach going all. It was just one of those where you feel like you're you're not going to make it there. It was, we were all over the place. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> you're you're being punished. Was our last stop. So I don't think Soul I gave it proper chance to because by the time we got to Seoul, we were ready to go home. So uh, I didn't yeah. go to Seoul, but we we only were in Seoul. I would like to go back to Korea sometime and 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 travel around a bit. You know, to your point, it's a big world, and at some point. Yeah. You're just looking forward to getting home <laughs> for whatever reason. Right. Well, crazy. I'd love to ask just, you know, who are you, Chris? Take me back in time. Little Chris days. Right. Did you know you're going to be doing what you're doing now, an entrepreneur? Do you have any, ink, excuse me, any inkling that you're going to do that? No, I, I started, uh, so I grew up in Maine, as I mentioned. I grew up in Scarborough, Maine. And I know that when I was 12 years old, I was, going to be the next catcher for the Red Sox without question. Nice. Uh, I was like the third best catcher in Scarborough Little League. So I probably didn't have a lot of uh, <laughs> that much of a chance to actually achieve that goal. So no, I, I grew up uh, there. All I wanted to do when I graduated high school was get out of Maine. Um, <laughs> I like it though. I hated it. It was just so it, it wasn't. So I went to school in New York. I went to Fordham. And then um, when I was at Fordham, I I, I had an internship downtown working for a PR company and I just had this, like, I just loved the city and all I wanted to do when I graduated was find a job that I could live in the city. Um, so I was a political science major and they didn't do a lot of recruiting of political science majors for anything. So, um, May company department stores did recruit at Lord at, uh, Fordham. So I went through the interviewing program there. It was like a five interview process. It was actually really good because you, you kind of learned about the job. And I, I was actually became really interested in the, in the training program, which I got into. And so that, that's how I, I wound up doing that for a living. Uh, but no, I was definitely never going to be in what I do. I mean, I was, I, I was a terrible math guy. I got a 490 on my math SAT. I mean, I was just a terrible, I wasn't a great student to begin with, but math was not my thing. But the good news is the math I do is like seventh grade algebra. So I'm pretty good at that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I really had no aspirations to be an entrepreneur, um, right. because, you know, working for a company, I, even for the first seven years of my business, I felt like all I wanted to do was go back more for a company where someone I could give them an expense report and I'd get a paycheck and, you know, someone else take care of the healthcare and all of that stuff. There's a benefit so, to some of that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it. But now the concept of going back and working for a company would be, I don't think something I, I would be interested in anymore at all. I mean, I love the, I love what I love about my job, as I mentioned, is the creativity piece, but I also love the idea that if we find an opportunity we want to go after, we can just do it. And we don't have, there's not committee meetings and we, we control our own destiny. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, I have a great team that works with us and, and I was thinking about the, the other day. We have people who've worked for us for about 12 years. We started hiring people after a few years. It was just wow. my partner and I for the beginning. And all of those people are still with us. We've never had anybody leave who left us. We've had a couple of people who came and left because they weren't good fits. Um, but but we have a core team of people, even the developers that that started. That, I mean, so we do data management. So we have a lot of guys who are who are computer guys. I mean, you do need to have solid scientists that work for you and those guys are great and they've been with us since the start and it's it's a we have a a good group and uh that part of it i love so that yeah. that you know is great it's yeah, funny how you running your own business is not always easy obviously no when you, do a, you manage retail and then all of a sudden the world goes through a pandemic where all, brick and mortar retail shuts down for 
three months. That wasn't the greatest, but we survived it and here we are. So that's, that's exciting. I think that that is exciting. Now I have a, I have a hypothetical question for you. I may or may not have a time machine mm -hmm. up here in New Hampshire. <laughs> so let's say you come up, we'll get some lobster, get some beer. Right. And you know, it's in the backyard under a tarp. We'll go <laughs> brush it off. You get to use yeah. this time machine and you go back in time and you meet yourself after a couple days after graduating from school, you get to meet that version of you. Right. You get to talk to yourself. You won't mess up the quantum theory. Everything will be fine. Uh, what kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of things would you tell yourself knowing everything you've been through? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, um, because I like where I am, right? Yeah. So I don't know that I would give myself advice to do something different. I, I like all the things, like I don't look back and think, oh, if only I had done something different, I could be doing something else. I don't really look at it that way. I think the, I think I spend a lot of time, I still do, uh, worrying about things that you, you kind of, you know, you're up at night worrying about something that a year later, you can't even remember what, what you were worrying about. Yeah. Um, so I guess that would be a part of it. But then the flip side of that is that's part of, I think, I think you got to do that stuff to be successful. You can't just go through life assuming everything's going to be great all the time. Um, but I think if I could give myself any advice, it would be try not to worry about, you know, there's, you know, whether you're going to get the promotion, whether you're going to get the new job, the, the things, th those things come in or don't, you know, obviously you want to be, you want to be doing the work properly because mm -hmm. the, the results, the results you can't control. You can control the effort. Right. Um, and maybe give yourself a little bit of advice to give yourself a little bit of a break on that. If you know you're putting in the effort, you know you're doing the work, don't worry so much about exactly what's going to happen. Because that, you know, that $5,000 raise you get when you're 30 years old feels like a fortune. But later in life, it doesn't, just none of it really matters, right? I mean, I just right. don't think it matters as you get older. So that that it's a tough one. I mean, it's interesting. I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you have things that you look at that you would do differently or what? Yeah, no, it's it's really cool because I've asked, you know, close to 300 people this question mm -hmm. and almost no one says, you know, to do something differently. Right. Uh, we The occasional joke about not dating or marrying that ex or whatnot. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I, you know, people have really, and I, and I understand this, you know, the, you learn so much more when it doesn't work than when it right. does. Absolutely. And so I mean, if the you failures are really, yeah. that, that is what you remember. And those are the things you, you try to do better with. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And, and so it's almost the more spectacular, the failure, maybe up to a point. I don't know. There's probably a curve on that one, but <laughs> you know, but it, yeah, up to a certain point, those spectacular failures, uh, have bigger and bigger lessons. And, you know, it'd be interesting to, to go back and remove those powerful lessons from yourself and then. And then does that really remove context for you? And do you not, do you not really have that wisdom moving forward? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I wonder about sometimes when people like inherit a business or, you know, something like they're put in a situation where they, they haven't sort of grown or earned that wisdom, then it, it can feel I don't know, shallow or it's, it's hard. And if it works, if it works well, you might think it's all you, you know, and that's probably yeah. the worst thing that could happen is, is you have this success, no hard work and just a success. And you're like, right, man, I must've got something going on over here. Maybe. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the one of the big values is, you know, I, I always think that's interesting is to talk to people about how, 
they navigate through the tough times and the lessons you learn then, because like when we started our business, I, you know, we just, I used to say, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to all these people so that they can not, you know, not get back. I mean, that's, you know, and, and initially you take all that really super personally, but then over time you realize it's not personal. It's just people have business going on, whatever it is. And, and the ability to just keep going and just keep chunking through it and doing that stuff. And I wonder if you do inherit a business or you get out and you're just an instant success, nothing lasts forever. So you're going to go through downtimes. You're going to go through difficulties, whatever it would be. And I feel like you got to go, you got to have those things to, to be able to navigate to the next good part. Certainly COVID for us was one where if we hadn't had difficulties, we would have, we'd be out of business right now because we had to go make really tough decisions really quickly. And then, and then know that we're hunkering down and just kind of waiting until things start to open up again. And even now with all the supply chain issues, people are still being very cautious with money. I mean, it's still a difficult time, but we spent all that time. We, we used all that time to do development for new products and new things that were rolling out. We're super excited about where 2022 is going to be for us. So it doesn't feel like it was just sitting around waiting. And that I think is because the first three years of our business was just doing development, assuming someone will eventually say yes. And, uh, you know, we used to, inter- I used to say we would, we're always interviewing for a job no one has a job rec for. And I mean, it takes a while to sort of get, to get through that. And to, and I, I do think that that's where all the value comes from is the difficulties and the, and the, and the struggles you go through. Right. So why rob yourself of that? Exactly. Right. Well, yeah. I think it sucks, but yeah, you know. you're right. No, it does. Um, but I think also when there's that challenge, when, if it does work, then after that, it feels way better. Yeah. Then, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I can't yeah. say for sure. Cause I never had an instant success, but I feel like it must, it's, it's gratifying. Certainly when you, when you go through it all. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think one of the things, you know, to your question, I, I think I would remove, or I would attempt to remove some, uh, thought process. You mentioned the worrying about things, things like that, that maybe just sap energy for no reason. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that came to mind other than the worrying was just the idea of, and you mentioned even just not taking it personally, right. You know, um, or taking it personal. Uh, so I'm not sure what the right, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those. I, I get right. corrected about that all the time at home. Uh, <laughs> and I just I don't remember in this very moment, but I think it's personal, uh, but, okay. but just not, uh, you know, bringing that on yourself and wasting energy, right? If someone doesn't want to sign or someone doesn't want to do this or that, it's, there's a thousand factors on their end may have nothing to do with you, you know, right? the deal right. got, and also when the deal, if you sign the deal or you win that, whatever, also trying to take that, that personally, there's probably <laughs> a lot of other factors, right? you know, so don't take any, either of those personal so that you can, you know, navigate that. Yep. Absolutely. Focus the energy forward instead of sideways, I think. Right. Right. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, where could people connect with you if they want to reach out, talk data, just kind of connect or in a similar area? Yeah. I mean, um, certainly through our website, uh, which is uh, www.tellermanusa.com. Um, you know, obviously you can email, phone, whatever. But, you know, I mean, the, the, our business is a very, we're like a niche business in a niche business. So we're, we're, uh, you know, we're always, uh, looking for clients in a very specific sort of zone. So I, I, you know, stuff like this. What's the zone? The zone is apparel makers who have an interest in understanding what's happening in their business in non-vertical retailers. So if I'm an apparel maker who's doing business with a bunch of different, uh, 
retailers, that's, that's who we want to connect with. Okay. Um, it's just not a lot of those folks out there and oh, they're yeah, not, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised who listens to this show. Yeah. Um, so anyway, no, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we don't, so one of the things we don't do at all, and it's something that for 2022, we're trying to do a better job with is outreach. I don't, we, I don't have a social media presence. We as a company don't have a social media presence. We don't do advertising. We don't do trade shows. We don't do anything. Um, right. we, <laughs> we get and it works our business. It, well, it works well enough, it, but what it doesn't do, I don't think is it doesn't give us the ability to start to move in different directions and things like that. Plus, I think what we do, as much as it has application for the apparel business, there are certainly needs in what kind of we do for a living that aren't related to retail and apparel. So it's something that over the you know next five years, hopefully, we start to explore some other opportunities. But uh, you know, for us, it's just we're just uh, you know keeping our heads down and 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 focusing on our customers and doing that that the best we can with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what that's what you can do. For right. sure. Well, man, Chris, this has been fantastic. This has been a, a, a trip. I don't know if you, the time has just warped by. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how long we've been on the phone to be honest. Yeah. It's almost close to an hour at this point. Wow, so, okay. uh, crazy, right? <laughs> it's just crazy how that just sort of, <laughs> maybe we're in a multiverse, you know, yeah. we didn't actually talk that long. We just right. got to a different universe. Um, but right. yeah, thanks again for being on here and sharing that knowledge with us about the, on the data side, the creative side, and then sharing that that blue highways, your own blue highway story. <laughs> right. Absolutely. No, it was a fun, it was fun. I appreciate you having me on. It was great. Right on. And for those listening, if you learned something and I freaking know you did because I've got two pages of notes over here, front and back, <laughs> then share this episode with someone else. That's how you're a thought leader to one person, eight people, 304, whatever it is, especially on LinkedIn. Um, just share, share this knowledge with other people so that they can approach right. data and analysis in the same way. And uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Chris, thanks again, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. All right, that, cool. This is it, man. This has been another really cool episode of Leadership in Action. We will see you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.